Good evening. Can I invite you to turn in the Church Bibles to page 1087 or to look up on your phone John chapter 19. We're continuing this evening to look at the later chapters of John's Gospel and we pick up the account uh, right uh, after Pontius Pilate has handed Jesus over to be crucified. So it's right at the bottom of page 1087, John 19, the end of verse 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing forth a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. 
These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Good evening, everyone. Um, I know what you're thinking. Um, I cannot dress myself. I've just realized I'm wearing three different shades of brown um, this evening. That's not gone well. Um, my name is Ed Clark. If you don't know me, usually I'm here doing this. Um, this evening I'm here doing this. Um, my job this evening, if I do it right, is like that of a waiter. I've got to deliver something to the table without making a complete mess of it. Um, there's two things you can do to help me with that. One is to keep your Bibles open in front of you. And the second is a little bit of engagement. Um, otherwise, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get nothing back. I'm going to feel a fool. Does that sound all right? That sounds all right. Brilliant. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been tracing the narrative of Jesus' journey to the cross. We've worked through the chapters. We've turned the pages, followed the story of Jesus, who is betrayed, arrested, denied, questioned, put on trial, mocked, and at this point, led to crucifixion. We arrive at John chapter 19, verse 17, at the foot of a hill named Golgotha. Jesus approaches this place carrying his own cross. Our story has been building up to this spectacular, climactic moment where Jesus is to be crucified. And in most stories, this would be the end. And if it was a story about anyone else other than Jesus, I'm sure it would be. But this is the story about Jesus. And in fact, this is not the end, but this is the beginning of so much. Even in his last moments on the cross, Jesus was king. And all throughout eternity, he is worthy of such a title. This evening, we're going to take some time to gather around the foot of the cross and focus on Jesus, working through this passage and encountering the person of Jesus on the cross. I'm going to take us back to the passage. Now, these are verses 17 and 18. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others on either side and Jesus in the middle. The beginning of this passage could seem to be a little bit anticlimactic to the grand end that John has been building us up to. You know, the last page, the, the final punctuation mark. The journey to the cross has spanned pages of John's writing, yet we come to this chapter and oh so simply in verse 18, it accounts there they crucified him. A quite simplified, condensed version. John gives us an overview of what's to come in this passage. And what follows from verse 18 onwards is not written in exact chronological order. In fact, the statement, there they crucified him, is an overarching anchoring point in the narrative. What takes place in verses 17 through to verses 27 sits within this summary. John gives us this simple summary that there they crucified him. And as they do crucify him, as they crucify Jesus, we're given insight onto three profoundly kingly interactions that take place around the cross. So up here is our overarching statement, there they crucified him. And within is one profound interaction that takes place at Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate, who had been the very person to pass Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate, who had declared ibis ad crucium, go to the cross, Pilate. That guy is present here at the crucifixion of Jesus. And as Jesus was being crucified, Pilate writes an inscription and attaches it to the cross. This inscription reads, Jesus Christ, 
king of the Jews. What were the motives behind this? Was Pilate seeking to antagonize the gathered Jews? If we read on in this passage, you've got it there in front of you, it seems that this was one of the effects. Um, Verses 20 to 21. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. The chief priests suggest an alternative statement that would cause less offense to them. Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. Perhaps he's frustrated by his earlier attempts to win over the crowd. We heard that last week from Chris, um, preaching from um, the first part of John 19. The crowds turned against Pilate. Pilate was trying to see Jesus freed, but actually it went the other direction. They said, in fact, we'll report you to Caesar. Perhaps Pilate was seeking now to antagonize those who were gathered. Or perhaps it was a political statement. Is this what the king of the Jews looks like? Beaten, defeated, hung on a cross. Not exactly the sort of king to write home about. Forget this king. Remember what you said earlier. We have no king but Caesar. Compared to Caesar, Jesus is looking pretty rubbish right now. Or perhaps the act of placing this statement on the cross was an act of repentance. John chapter 19 verse 12 tells us that Pilate had sought to release Jesus. Perhaps his declaration that Jesus was the king of the Jews was from an authentic place of recognition and repentance. Ultimately, we don't know whether through this encounter with Jesus, Pilate was converted, whether in that moment or throughout the rest of his life. Scripture doesn't tell us. History is quite hazy on the matter. What I do see in this situation is a man who is rightly concerned about his social standing. He's come from this altercation with a gathered crowd where they've gone against what he suggested. I see that man now gathered at the foot of the cross. And rather than giving himself a title, he gives a title to someone else. Rather than seeking to make himself look big in this situation, he gives someone the title of a king. At this point, he declares Jesus' kingship to a local and a global audience. We see this in verse 20 of our passage. I'll read it again. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Golgotha was positioned as such that if you were going about your daily business in Jerusalem, you wouldn't be able to stop your eyes being drawn to Golgotha. It was a place of Roman crucifixion, a a place of Roman punishment. So the people of Jerusalem would be made example of, and it would be in the public eye. You wouldn't be able to miss this place, Golgotha. Many people would have been able to see this inscription as they were going about their daily lives. A local audience would have seen Jesus on a cross with the title, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. Pilate declares Jesus' kingship to a local audience. He then does so to a global audience. We see that the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, the three great languages of the ancient world. Pilate's proclamation of Jesus' kingship was written so that all could read it, Jews and Gentiles alike. This was a global proclamation. And whether intentionally or not, whether Pilate is converted or not converted, he does give Jesus this title. He gives Jesus the title, King of the Jews. Even in his last moments on the cross, Jesus was king, a king for all. 
Jesus is also the king of promise. We're anchored in our narrative by this phrase, there they crucified him. One of the interactions that takes place is um, with Pilate, Jesus, a king for everyone. We then see Jesus' interaction with four soldiers. We see this in verses 23 to 24 of our passage. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with his undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers do. We see that as Jesus is crucified on the cross, a select of soldiers present are dividing up his clothes into four shares. And what scripture tells us about this is that Jesus' seamless woven undergarment is left and there's no fair way of dividing it without ripping it. So that the soldiers cast lots to see who would receive this item of clothing. And this happens, says John, so that scripture may be fulfilled. This is verse 24. You can see it in your Bible. We have this fulfillment phrase. This indicates that something important is going on in the narrative. When we see a phrase like this, it's telling us that Jesus has done something or Jesus is doing something that fulfills a promise in the Old Testament. John gives us details about how Jesus' clothes are divided and what seemingly is a monotonous piece of information, it's a mundane addition to the narrative, is in fact written with purpose. John directs our attention to this purpose and points towards the fulfillment of Scripture. Um, Go with me now in your Bibles to Psalm 22. This is page 554. Um, Find verse 18. Can we see this verse sticks out to us? This is the same verse we've seen in John chapter 19. We see it here in Psalm 22. This is the scripture that John says is fulfilled in the actions of the soldiers. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Psalm 22, which is a prophetic looking forward through scripture, calls through the pages for a king. And what is promised about a coming king is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus' crucifixion and Psalm 22 can be read side by side. Uh, Look at verse 1 of your passage. You'll see, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, this also comes up in Matthew 27, verses 46, and Mark 15, 34. We put them side by side, we can see the continuity. And we see this verse, they divided his clothes among them. And we see that in John 19, in the action of the soldier. Um, It goes on, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And we see Jesus' statement that I thirst. We put these um, two passages of the Bible side by side, we see that there is a relation. John points to, and Jesus speaks from Psalm 22, weaving together the promise of a king who is to come and a king now come. Jesus is the king of promise. This is not the only time we see such a fulfillment phrase in our passage Uh, We see it twice more directly, and it's inferred once more. Um, That's in verses 28 and 36. We see a direct reference. This is in the fulfillment of Scripture. And in verse 37, we see that it is inferred. Jesus, the king on the cross, is a king of promise. Each time we see one of these fulfillment phrases, John is weaving together the Old Testament with the New. 
the promise of a king with the realized presence of a king. Jesus, a king on a cross, a king for all, and a king of promise. And there's one more interaction that takes place as people are gathering round Jesus on the cross. We have Jesus, a king for everyone, Jesus, a king of promise, and we have Jesus, a king of love. Even in his final moments on the cross, where we can imagine Jesus was in excruciating physical and mental torment, Jesus looks to his mother, sees her, and loves her. And amongst all that was going on, Jesus sees his mother and demonstrates love. And it's that same love that's present throughout the gospel. It's the love that sees you where you are and loves you enough not to leave you there. This is verses 25 to 27 in your Bibles. Um, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus makes a provision in love. He sees Mary near the cross. One can only imagine what Mary would have been feeling like in this moment. Mary, who'd been present at the birth of Jesus, is now present at the crucifixion of her son. And Jesus sees her and loves her. And amongst all that was going on, Jesus noticed his mother and demonstrates love. He sees her in anguish and sadness. He sees her and he loves her enough not to leave her there. He makes a provision. We see, um, mother, this is your son, pointing to John the disciple. And to John the disciple, he says, and this is your mother. He makes a provision for Mary. Jesus is a king of love, demonstrated remarkably on the cross through this interaction. Jesus sees and he loves. He sees you and he loves This is the truth of this revealed king on a cross. He is a king of promise for you, and he loves. Look to the cross and encounter Jesus in this passage. It's a come-as-you-are occasion. You don't have to have everything put together. You don't have to have everything worked out. You've just got to come and accept the invitation to encounter the love of Jesus. Come as you are with the certainty that Jesus will see you where you are and love you enough not to leave you there. In our first six months of marriage, Abby and I have been learning more and more about one another and our foibles. Um, I don't know if this is the same with you, but we get to the end of each day and there seems to be no glasses left in the cupboard. We use about 10 glasses a day. Um, does that resound with anyone? Um, sometimes the highlight of the evening is to see how high we can stack the washing up before it all topples over. Um, we also have differing um, understandings of, well... For Christmas, I got this um, kit that you put in your toilet. It's like an LED light that lights up your toilet. I think it's a good idea. Abby does not. Um, We've been been learning a lot uh, about each other. Uh, We've learned that neither of us are perfect and that we are perfectly imperfect people with perfectly imperfect people problems. Try saying that again fast and you'll realize that that's quite difficult. Um, these, These problems are ultimately the result of being broken people. 
twice since moving to Southampton six months ago, we've been issued parking fines for parking outside our own flat. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, it's not funny, this is all right, gets me. I'll be, I'll be really honest with you. Um, Abby responds much better to this than I do. I get frustrated so easily. I get, I get angry. I get fixated writing my appeal. I get flippant with God. I build it up to be this big, all-encompassing issue. After a couple of days, each time it happens, I've caught myself and I've realized the strain I put on the relationship between Abby and I and the strain I put on the relationship between myself and God. I've placed a distance between myself and Abby and myself and God. And I remember feeling foolish as I was coming to pray. Really? Have I really made this much of a mess over a parking fine? Twice. <laughs> I catch myself and I catch the distance that I have between both parties. I feel foolish and it's a bit pathetic and I, I don't feel like I deserve forgiveness, God, but I, I came before God and God is so graceful, Jesus is so good. He saw me where I was and loved me enough not to leave me there. I felt the distance and God drew close. Just turn up. It only takes one encounter with Jesus to change the reality of a situation. Wherever you are today, however far you may feel from God or other people, be met by the truth that Jesus sees you where you are and loves you enough not to leave you there. From our passage, we see that Jesus is a king for everyone, a king of promise, and a king of love. It's this Jesus we encounter at the crucifixion. This is where our story has led us. And there is an art to storytelling and story writing. You might recognize this diagram if you grew up in the UK and you attended school, which maybe some of you here attending school. Um, this is a great story mountain. Do we recognize this? We're told that every good story starts with once upon a time and finishes with the end. In the middle, we have, unsurprisingly, the middle. Stories rise to this climactic moment and then move on to the resolution as we come to the end of the story. This is the great story mountain. The Bible is a little bit different. In the greatest story ever told, we don't have to traverse our way down the diagram to reach the end. Jesus on the cross crucified signals the climax, the resolution, and the end of the story of sin. It's the climax of God's plan to rescue us, the resolution made between us and God, the end to sin. In this moment on the cross, on a hill, Jesus wins. Love wins. Verses 28 to 30 of our passage capture the climax of this story. It's here that we find Jesus' final moments on the cross in his declaration that it is finished. This is a story unlike other, no other. What is completed on the cross is achieved through suffering. Verses 28 to 30 balance Jesus' suffering on the cross with Jesus' completion on the cross. We'll come um, now to verse 28 to 30. I'll read it to you from my Bible here later, knowing that everything had been now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had finished the drink, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In this passage, we come across one of those other fulfillment phrases. Do you see it in verse 28? We see that, so as to fulfill Jesus fulfills scripture and calls down from the cross for a drink. 
Now, there is more to this than seeking to quench his thirst. In fact, on Jesus' journey to the cross, he had been offered a drink. This, would not, this drink would not only have quenched Jesus' thirst, but will have dulled his pain. Uh, we see this in Matthew 27, verses 34, and Mark 15, 23. Don't take my word for it, it's there. And these account that as Jesus reaches Golgotha, he is offered a drink of wine and myrrh. A combination of which would not only have quenched Jesus' thirst, but helped dull the pain. That's what myrrh does. Jesus declines this drink. He forgoes any sort of pain relief. He suffered. Jesus knew his kingly duty. He doesn't try to reduce the pain. He endures the pain. He endures the cross on our behalf. The humanity of Jesus is evident in his request for a drink. He does thirst. He does suffer. Subsequently, he is offered a drink of wine vinegar in our um, chapter here, John 19. Uh, wine vinegar, a cheap wine likely diluted with water, not to take away pain, but to signify something, to signify the fulfillment of Scripture. We see that here, the heading of this passage that uh, overarches what's happening here is that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled. That's the context. At no point on the cross did Jesus forget his purpose. His request for a drink indicates that everything had come to completion. Jesus was accomplishing what he had come to do. The job was done. And in accordance to scripture, which described his suffering, look back to Psalm 22:15. We'd have to jump back now in our Bibles. I think it was page 554. We see that verse, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus echoes the words of this psalm in his final moments demonstrating his understanding about what he was about to do. He weaves together the Old Testament with the New Testament, the promise of a king with the presence of a king. And so as to fulfill scripture and knowing that everything had been finished, Jesus takes a drink. He speaks once more, declaring over all of history, it is finished. It is finished. It, our sin, is finished. Jesus on the cross is the climax, the resolution, and the end of the story of sin. The story is now a story about grace. And as we reckon with Jesus' suffering on the cross, his story, history, can become your story. This, we hear, is the reason why John is writing this account of Jesus' crucifixion. A story full of encounters with Jesus takes a turn as John invites the reader to encounter Jesus for themselves. It was the soldier's duty to verify that Jesus was dead. Um, they, what they did is they took a spear and they pierced his side. A mixture of blood and water spilled from Jesus. Certainly it is finished. I mean, they checked. The guy was dead. We would miss out on an opportunity here just to pause and, and wonder at this story. Uh, we recognize that even in his death, Jesus was weaving together the Old Testament with the New Testament, the promise with the present. Verse 36 tells us that these things happened that Scripture might be fulfilled. They did not break Jesus' legs, and they did pierce his side, just as Scripture says. We see in this passage here that we have a description of what happens, of how the soldiers come to pierce the side of Jesus. We see a little bit further down an explanation that this was to fulfill Scripture. In the middle, we find the purpose of why John writes. In the middle of this description and explanation, we find this verse. 
The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. This is the testimony of John. John was there. He saw it. He encountered Jesus on the cross. He knows what he's written is true because he wrote it. And he invites us to believe just as he does. He knows that he tells the truth. He's the, the man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that what he tells is the truth. And he testifies so that you may believe. We find at this point in the passage, passage John invites us to encounter Jesus for ourselves. There is an invitation this evening to encounter Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross, a king for everyone, a king of promise, a king for love. It's, it's in your hands now, says John. You choose how you respond. We can go out this door this evening of this building and we can live our life irrespective of everything we've just heard, an invitation to encounter Jesus. We can carry on going about our lives, living the reality of sin and suffering, or we can choose to come to the cross of Jesus and encounter him. It only takes one encounter to change the story of your life. I'm really passionate that when we talk about Jesus in this way, we do not talk about Jesus as if he's not in the room. Um, if we jump on to next week and the week after, we understand that this is the climax of the story of sin ending, but it is the beginning of the story of grace. Jesus comes again. That may be a spoiler to some of you, but it's not. Scripture tells us this is what's coming. Jesus, a king who dies on the cross, rises again. And I'm going to invite you to stand now. As we come to an end, I'd like to take a moment to respond to the reality that Jesus is present with us in this room. John says it's in our hands to choose how we respond. Do we want to believe this story? He's given testimony. He's given us, us this encounter of Jesus. Do we believe it ourselves? Maybe there's something for you this evening in that idea that Jesus is a king for everyone. Do you believe that? Do you live a life where you think that you are included in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? Or do you have a distance between you and God? I want to encourage you this evening that Jesus died on the cross for you. He died on the cross with you in mind. He is a king for everyone. Jesus, the king of promise, is one of the interactions I find the most profound. Jesus is a king of promise on the cross. The picture we have on, with Jesus on the cross is that Jesus suffers. We suffer and Jesus suffered. We have that thing in common. It may be that this evening you are suffering, you're going through something you don't know how to face. Well, Jesus is a king of promise, and one of those promises is that you do not suffer alone. Jesus on the cross is the promise that you will never suffer alone. And then Jesus, the king of love, he sees you and he loves you. He sees you where you are, what you're doing, where, where you're going, but he loves you enough not to leave you there. So maybe one of those three things that we've um, highlighted there from the passage, it may be something that's come out from the worship, but I want to give an opportunity now for us to respond to God in the way he's speaking. Uh, there's nothing special about this. We don't even have the piano making the background noise. Um, all I'm going to do is invite the presence of God here, reassure us that the presence of God is here with us. We know that he's present with us. 
and we're just going to wait in the presence of God and allow him to speak in those different areas. Lord Jesus, we pray, come Holy Spirit. May you draw near to us now. Lord, help us to encounter you. We don't talk about Jesus as if he isn't real, he isn't present with us. There is an invitation this evening to walk out these doors with a different take on life. There's an invitation to come to the cross of Jesus and choose to believe. Any of those three things I've picked out from this passage or anything else that's come to your mind, uh, don't, don't take it away with you without chatting to others. Don't take it away without coming for prayer. There's lots of people around the room who will be able to pray with you. And people wearing a lanyard or come to the front at the end, we'd love to pray with you. You don't do this alone. Um, you're in a church family here. This is a community where we're with you. And Jesus is real to us.